Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. I am celebrating National Egg Day and National Egg Week on the podcast today by having a conversation with Katie Smith. She is a registered dietitian and a farmer. We talk about her passions of both professions and what dietitians should know about agriculture. Please enjoy my conversation with Katie. Well, I'm excited to chat with you today. I know that we have crossed paths many different times, but nothing in the the aspect of social media and that type of stuff, but we got to go to a conference together, which I'm so excited that we actually got to meet in person at one point, but we didn't have a lot of time to talk to each other. So I wanted to get to know you better and know more about your dietitian journey and uh, talk a little bit about agriculture this week since it's a very big week for National Ag Week. So maybe take me back to when you were a younger Katie, when did you kind of get interested in dietetics, nutrition, and all those kind of fun things? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, first, just thank you for the invitation and for thinking of um, not only me as another dietitian, but just for me and um, the concept of agricultural as well. And, you know, it's kind of funny because when you think about the title now of dietitian and farmer, there are two titles that I never, ever imagined that I would carry in life. <laughs> so I guess never say never because um, we never know what new journeys lie ahead of us. And so um, when I was in school, I was studying athletic training and exercise science. And so I really always had my eye on something in healthcare, um, and I started that with a sports medicine, sports medicine journey, and then that transitioned as I was going through school, and I really discovered a passion for women's health and particularly obstetrics, um, and so as I started to work and do more internship opportunities and working outside of college, I started to recognize as I was teaching group exercise classes and doing personal training that I was getting asked so many questions about nutrition that I either, A, didn't know the answer to, because in our undergraduate curriculum, we just had one general nutrition course, which is very typical of exercise science programs. Um, or we, I wasn't qualified to legally be able to answer the question that I was being asked within my scope of practice. And so I decided, okay, I know I want to do graduate school anyway, because I'm interested in teaching in higher ed. And so why not look for a graduate program around nutrition? And so that is honestly kind of how I opened up my graduate search and decided I would go as far away from Iowa as I possibly could. Um, Being born and raised in Northwest Iowa and then doing undergraduate studies at Simpson College, I thought, you know what, I'm ready to branch out. I had just come back from an internship in Washington, D.C. for a summer and I loved it. And I thought graduate school is a great time because you know you're only going to be gone for a year or two. So if you don't like wherever you go to, you can always come back. But I started to really focus my search around the academic program and particularly wanting to be able to work with pregnant women. And evidently, as it played out, the best program and the best research opportunity for me was 45 minutes closer to home at Iowa State (laughs) instead of further away. So anyway, it all all things happen for a reason. But the reason that my path crossed into dietetics then was as a result of my graduate school mentor. So 
she was not only is still to this day an exercise physiologist, but also a registered dietitian. And so my graduate program um, was nutrition science is the name of the program. And for someone who didn't study dietetics as an undergraduate, I just saw nutrition in the title and figured, great, this is what I'm looking for. Um, and quickly in probably that first semester, maybe it was time that we were registering for classes in the second semester. And I was looking at another semester of a lot of biochemistry and a lot of science and not as many applied courses, so to speak. I asked my advisor, when do I get to take like nutrition assessment or when do I get to learn to have conversations and um, make change with people? And she's like, well, all of those courses are in the dietetics program. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. Dietetics, I don't want to work in a nursing home. I don't want to do meal planning at a school. Like, I, you know, that was way back before we had dietitian prevalence that we do right now. Um, and so she's like, oh, honey, you have a lot to learn. <laughs> and so it opened up this whole new conversation around what is dietetics and what are the opportunities within dietetics. And that was really where I found, aha, I can bridge my interest in health with food and nutrition. And so I really um, enjoyed the clinical aspect of studying nutrition and clinical dietetics. And so that's where a lot of the rest of my training was focused around was kind of that medical nutrition therapy element of our dietetics training. And um, as far as the farming piece coming into it, that came when I um, got married. So I married into a farming family. I did not, I was not raised on a farm myself. Um, I was, I grew up in the same town of um, my spouse's family. And so it was a small rural community. I grew up next to a field. We were at the dead on the dead end road. So I always grew up next to a field and, um, you know, a lot of fields in the area in Northwest Iowa, but had no understanding at all of what it meant to be a farming family or to be part of a farming operation. So I have learned all of that in the last 10 years. And that's how long <laughs> you've been married. <laughs> And that's how long you've been married? Yeah. Yep. 10 years this summer. So. so did you meet, did you meet your husband then while you're in school or before you were in dietetics or kind of where did that cross paths? Um, so we went to the same school growing up, um, never dated in school, but we're just a small community. And so we knew of each other and always tended to gravitate to be in the same areas, just with large group of friends, you know, when you're back home on Christmas break or winter break or whatever it might be, summer break, um, you tend to cross paths with similar people or at local softball games or baseball games. And so um, we had a friendship that, again, this was before we had texting and social media. And so we joke that actually that summer that I moved out to Washington, D.C., we emailed back and forth around how my summer was going out there with never any, um, you know, thought of dating. It was just that's how you kept in contact with your friends. Exactly. So, and then things transpired, you know, later that year or so into something more. And here we are 10 years later. Interesting. So I love that you kind of said, um, you know, initially you were into exercise science. You had all these nutrition questions that people are asking you. And I think that's great that you found kind of your passion for dietetics and nutrition through people wanting to know more information from you. And so you sought that out. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of um, soul searching. And it's something that now as, um, you know, a professor at the college level, 
I always bring back to my students of, you know, ask questions and, you know, take the internship that you don't think you're going to like, because even an internship where you explore a career that you discover this is not for me, that's still a successful internship and sometimes even more successful than, yep, I thought I wanted to do physical therapy and my internship confirmed that for me. You know, (laughs) it's good to be able to rule out early on sometimes what it is that you don't want to do as well. That's so true. That's so true. And then I think that's a great segue into how did you, you know, you did your master's and then you did your internship. So how did you determine that you wanted to go on and teach and be a professor? I really enjoyed the college environment and the higher ed environment when I was in college myself. I actually started, I didn't say this part of it, but I started as a double major in education and athletic training, thinking that I wanted to teach health classes um, at a high school and be their athletic trainer. So I always had an interest in education. It just took me a while to figure out at what level I wanted to teach. And so as I started to further explore graduate school, Um, and being around the college setting. And then in graduate school, I had the opportunity to be able to co-teach the medical nutrition therapy course and then TA a couple of other courses. I realized this is really what I enjoy doing because I wouldn't have an opportunity to teach health and nutrition that often in a K-12 setting. So I would have more of that opportunity to do that at the college level. That's so Well, and that's, that's very true. And to kind of make that impact for, I mean, I feel like that's what you do with your students now. You know, they're all navigating kind of the similar situation you were at that point in your life and in your undergraduate. So I feel like now you're at that crossroads exactly where with them when you were doing the same thing. It is. And we're in such a unique time right now in dietetics in terms of shifting to the master's degree that I'm so excited to be at an institution that you know, it's unique for us to have a dietetics, a dietitian on staff when we don't have a dietetics program um, per se. I'm teaching in the health and exercise science program, but what that provides to an institution in terms of the mentoring of our students um, is phenomenal. I actually had two students doing advising yesterday in my office who's wanted to talk about becoming a dietitian. And there are a lot more of uh, options available for them now as we look at shifting the career towards a master's degree and being able to start their education and continue their education for undergraduate purposes at an institution like Simpson. Yeah. And Simpson, maybe just explain Simpson College just a little bit for those who aren't familiar with the college. Sure. Yeah. Simpson College is a private liberal arts institution that is just south of Des Moines, Iowa. And as I mentioned, we don't have an undergraduate dietetics program because the only current undergraduate program in the state of Iowa is at Iowa State University. And so typically your smaller institutions um, aren't going to offer a dietetics program because of how heavily we rely on the food science programs um, within the curriculum as well. And so it takes a lot of resources to be able to implement a dietetics program, a lot of people, and it's not something that you're typically going to find at a smaller school. But that's, and I think it's interesting though, about how just you can still have lots of crossover with exercise science and that you have students coming and discussing, you know, the opportunity of being a dietitian with you as a resource that can kind of guide them of what they should be taking and what can kind of prepare them for that schooling. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have a lot of conversations, even the students, of course, that are not um, wanting to go into nutrition around the role of nutrition. And I 
50, at least 50, if not 60 to 70% of the students that I teach are pre-professional in some program. So PT or OT or PA and helping them recognize the importance of nutrition, because without that, they're going to have a hard time meeting their goals of therapy um, with their patients as well. So you never know who the patient is going to click with. And so if everyone can have on their radar the importance of nutrition, it really is a team approach to get some of those patients to eat or drink. Yeah. Uh, And also I think about just becoming, um, getting your PhD in nutrition. I feel like it's kind of scary. So, I mean, for those people that, you know, master's always seems very approachable for most students because it's kind of like just a continuation of what they're currently doing just a little bit more intensely. So maybe talk a little bit about that next level of getting your PhD and what that kind of looks like and not to be scared of it and be kind of a pro PhD person for me. Sure. So I was, I was unique in my entire pathway, but I didn't actually um, finish a master's program. So once I identified that the program I was in and the research that I was doing was exactly what I wanted to continue to do and that, yes, I wanted to continue on into a PhD program, um, we actually made a, there's an opportunity for people to be able to transition into a PhD program. And so that's what I did. Um, I still wrote up the project that I was working on that would have been my master's thesis and we published that and presented it and whatnot, but it just wasn't a formal uh, master's degree, so to speak. So I don't actually have my master's, um, but like you said, I do have my PhD in nutrition science. And so the PhD experience um, is a marathon for sure. Um, in many more ways than one. And so for anyone that has done long endurance training recognizes the time that goes into that, the thoughtful planning process around that. Um, but everyone's PhD experience is very different. So I know individuals that are working full time and they're working online and getting their PhD and, um, a PhD in a science program is different than a PhD in a different program. So, or if you're doing research or if you're doing a teaching intensive experience. So I think the bottom line, what the biggest takeaway is, is the, the ability to be able to understand science and quality research and what that research process looks like. Um, and, you know, and I do see that in a difference between colleagues that I work with that um, have a master's degree, but don't have a PhD that that really does tend to be the bigger difference between the two. Thank you. Thank you for sharing some light on that. That is interesting that you didn't have to get your master's. I didn't even know that was a possibility. So in some programs, yeah, it's different for every school. Sure. So let's kind of segue into you've been teaching. How long have you been teaching then for? Um, that's a great question. So uh, I've been, I'm in my fourth year here at Simpson college, but as far as when I started teaching, I had the opportunity to start teaching as a graduate student. And so I probably am in seven or eight years now when you add up um, co-teaching as a graduate student as well. Okay. So you've been a farmer longer than you've been a teacher. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I've never thought about it that way, but that's general. (laughs) So talk to me about how, you know, what does your husband's family do How did you kind of feel about the whole start of being part of a farming community? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my husband, my husband's family um, raises cattle and hogs, and then they also um, have crops as well. So primarily corn and soybeans. And so 
um, they have a, what's called a cow-calf operation, which means that they calf, they calve their own cattle crop, um, so to speak. Um, some farming operations will feed out the cattle, and so we don't do that typically. We um, have the baby calves, which is a really fun time of year. We're getting um, into that time of year right now where the little baby calves are around and they're cute mm-hmm. and they run around in their backyard, and that's really fun. To be able to do um, can be exhausting at times, but it's it's fun, and um, and so anyway, that's that's the operation that we have, so to speak, and then um, they move on to a different type of facility after they get to a certain size or a certain weight. Okay, and so when you think about how, when did you start making the connection then between like as a dietitian, like how important it was for you? to know more about farming and to be, as, I mean, as an outsider, as a dietitian, I know as a family member and being very in it to win it with your family, but as a dietitian, mm-hmm. when did you kind of start seeing the crossover of the importance of knowing more about farming? I really credit the program at Iowa State for that. Um, they do a phenomenal job, the Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition and um, Dr. McDonald is just one of the many um, wonderful resources that's there at that that program. But they do an incredible job of always being at the forefront of here is the research. Let's take it back to science. Let's forget about what the media is saying and let's really analyze the evidence here. And the faculty as a whole do a great job of supporting that. And so, I mean, they didn't know that I was, um, you know, part of a farming family necessarily when I was in the classroom, their job was to teach you the science and to teach you the science of the nutrition specifically. And so you learned the pros and you learned the cons, and then you talked about the quality of the research. And at the end of the day, here's what we know about it. Not to say that it's not going to change tomorrow and that there's going to be a different research study. Sometimes I joke with my students now that, you know, I envy my colleagues that might teach a course that doesn't change rapidly where the content is the same every single year they go back to teach it because that's not at all our experience when we're teaching even general nutrition that sometimes you feel like by the time you've even taught it, it there's you know a new study. exactly it's <laughs> rapidly changing so quickly but really during graduate school um, is when I started to really realize how important this conversation was connecting nutrition and agriculture. And I think that's, I feel like, I don't know if you kind of see this now too, but as I'm an older dietitian, so (laughs) I feel like I didn't have a lot of those conversations kind of when I think about school and earlier years of my career. And I feel like we're just kind of starting to get that to be more on the, you know, the brains, the forefronts of dietitians, younger dietitians, of how important it is to know more about agriculture. Do you kind of feel that way too? Absolutely. Yeah. The con, you know, the conversation is constantly evolving and what it is now in terms of the conversations around agriculture is even different when it was when I was going in school as well too, but um, it's important nonetheless, for sure. So when do you, do you get questions yourself about as being a dietitian and being a farmer, what kind of questions do you get from other professionals or your students or just from um, coworkers about the two crossing? I would say the most common question, most people recognize me as a dietitian um, or an exercise fitness professional, exercise physiologist um, in my day-to-day job. 
We do have the opportunity. Um, so my husband also works in agriculture. And so we are frequently with many um, farmers and their spouses. And so have the opportunity to have conversation around nutrition because I was in graduate school for so long or school in general for so long and traveling with him and having mm-hmm. these conversations that they always saw me studying off to the side or working on my <laughs> computer. And so the running joke was always like, you know, they knew what I was studying and what I was learning and whatnot. And so now as we continue to see them, it's, it's fun to be able to have these conversations, but um, they def- definitely the most common questions are around, uh, you know, it used to be GMOs. That's maybe not as, popular right now is what it used to be because right now it's plant-based versus animal products that we're Mm -hmm. getting a lot of questions around dairy milk what milk should I be drinking should I not be drinking milk Um, those are probably the few most most and just animal products in general I would say are the definitely the hot topics sure and I I would agree with you on the milk like the milk situation and then also the plant-based and how that has completely transformed people's thought process on what they choose because they mm-hmm. think it's automatically healthier, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting. Um, but I think that's interesting that you had the farmers asking you questions from a dietitian standpoint than actually other professionals or coworkers that you work with asking you questions about being a farmer. Well, you know, at the end of the day, Farmers, everyone is a human. Everyone wants to make informed decisions and everyone wants to be as informed as possible in every element of the conversation. And so by having conversation is the only way that we can continue to strengthen our own beliefs, because the stronger we understand the other side of the table, the better we understand our own views as well. And so um, some are from a nutrition standpoint, you know, some of the conversations stem from how typically we see the, um, this group of farmers that I'm talking about, particularly, we see them about once a year, um, if not more. And so it's, you're talking about what's happened in the last year. And so, you know, in the event where, well, I'm recovering from a heart attack, for example, mm-hmm. then they'll, you know, bring up, oh, my dietitian has me on this diet, or now all of a sudden I can't eat this. And so that really brings up a conversation to, for me to talk about, you know, ask them questions of what they are learning, what they're trying, what they're doing, what's making them feel better. Um, and as you know, in many of the dietitians that you talk to, you know, the dietitian are not the food police. <laughs> we actually <laughs> probably allow more food than what most people ever think that we do. And so that was one of the things that I realized when I was going through my cardiac rehab experience that even when I was done working cardiac rehab, they kept calling me back to cardiac rehab because I brought a different conversation to the table for those patients. And so I talked a lot about the bold diet. And so bold diet, are you familiar with bold diet? I am not. Okay. So beef on a lean diet. Um, And it is research that is done out of Penn State. And it's incredible research that shows that beef can be included in the daily meal plan and still provide optimal improvements in terms of cardiovascular metabolic health as a diet like Mediterranean or DASH diet. And DASH would be the dietary approaches to stop hypertension, which is kind of that gold standard in terms of a cardiovascular medical nutrition therapy approach. And so instead of coming in and saying, you shouldn't eat red meat because you've had a heart attack or you shouldn't eat X, Y, and Z for animal products, 
my conversation would be, let's talk about how we can continue to provide that as your favorite option. But we look at leaner cuts of meat and we look at portion size. And so those are the two things that we would often approach. Of course, we deal with seasonings and sodium and that sort of thing as well. But, um, you know, I had the ability to be able to say, because I went through my internship and did a lot of those rotations after I had finished my PhD. And so that also provided a great experience for me to be able to draw on my research experience from graduate school and to bring that into my conversations when I was doing my clinical rotations. And so I really enjoyed being able to, you know, to see the smile on that person's face on the other side of the table in the cardiac rehab room. And they're like, you mean that I, I can actually have my steak tomorrow on my birthday or on my anniversary? And absolutely. And it shouldn't be the only day that, you know, you offer yourself that choice. So it should come like everything in moderation. Um, we say, like to say that all food fits and Mm -hmm. that is essentially true for all animal products. And I think that's amazing. And I think that's a good message for even other dietitians practicing. I think, um, that's a part of educating yourself. And I love that you had that research angle because a lot of us don't have that or they don't kind of read the research um, to provide that kind of information and to give patients more control, kind of control back to what they can and cannot eat and that all foods do actually fit, even if you've had a major life health event. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, for sure. And I think probably from like for your perspective, as far as talking to other dietitians about what you think they should know as dietitians when it comes to agriculture, what would you speak to them about? Oh, excellent question. I think this is true for not just dietitians, but for anyone that the source of your information is so critical to the conversation. And so anytime that you have the ability to go directly to a primary source, and when we're talking agriculture, we're talking the farmer themselves, go to a farm, visit a farm, ask questions of a farmer, see how it's done. It opens up your eyes to an entirely different perspective. And, you know, being primarily around a beef um, industry or a beef operation, I didn't know as much about dairy. And so I recently had an opportunity to go visit a dairy farm. And it was amazing what I, you know, I I had no idea what robotic milking was. And so to be able to witness the cows freely enter a milking station at their choice of time of day of when they do that and to be able to leave that when they want to leave that was amazing to me because that answered a lot of the questions that I get right there around, well, are animals confined? You know, are they, are, are they not comfortable? Are they, you know, led by a rope down to the milking station and forced to stand here? Like, no, I actually witnessed how they were able to do that. And having breastfed my own children, I could actually empathize with like, oh gosh, girl, you got to stand in line. I am really sorry about that right now. (laughs) You know, it's painful if you want to be able, need to be able to do that. That is what their body is made to do. Well, you've also had three children, right? You have triplets. So (laughs) twins, but yeah, they're 20 months. So yeah, you have like Irish triplets, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I, you know, we both got to attend that event. And I think that is something to be said for even 
I've never experienced it either. And I love the fact that you've said to go and experience it firsthand. Even if you're not like 100% on board with whatever you have in your mind of what happens on a farm, that's the experience that you need to have to see it in real life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also where you have the opportunity to really analyze the questions around ethics, because that's a large part of the conversation for some individuals on whether or not they choose to eat animal products or not. And, you know, something that they mentioned when we were at that visit at the dairy farm that we that I also witnessed in a beef operation is that protection of the calf after it's born. And so some people will ask, well, you know, we shouldn't be separating the calf from the mother because it it causes stress um, and it just seems rude to to be doing that, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, the alternative is the safety of that small animal, that new animal is highly compromised and highly at risk when you don't remove that animal from that environment because I've seen young calves get stepped on because they aren't strong enough to be able to stand themselves, particularly if you're outdoors. I mean, you know, you talk about more common questions. You, I get a lot of questions around grass fed um, and is, should grass fed beef or grass fed animals be our only products, you know, or free range, so to speak. Um, That's great depending upon where you live, but that's not the reality. If you want to eat local foods and you live in Iowa or you live in the Midwest, I don't know a single farmer that wouldn't prefer to have their animals out in a pasture freely range setting 365 days of the year if they could. Like, believe me, as a spouse, as someone who, um, you know, is not necessarily doing the chores now that we have children as much as what I was before, it would be much easier if the cattle were out grazing on their own every day instead of several hours of the day being consumed by chores. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just, that's just not an option. You know, there are some summers and it's not just a summer or a winter thing. There are some summers where you have to start feeding alternative sources to the animals because of a drought situation. And so that grass is no longer growing in the middle of July. And so there's just so many different dynamics and elements that you don't have the ability to be able to conceptualize until you truly go and witness that. I actually recently just had a conversation with um, a colleague who is a veterinarian, but also she specializes in animal welfare. And we were having this conversation around the separation of the animal shortly after birth. And she actually also said that it causes the animal typically more stress when you try to wean that animal from the mom at an older age, because now that bond is formed. Mm -hmm. And so they are high, they're more likely to become ill when you stress them, just like we are when we're stressed, we're more likely to become sick. So is the animal. And then you have the safety, the physical safety of um, then being protected and not surrounded by animals that are four or five times their size. And so she also talked about, um, she particularly specializes in swine and just, you know, the natural habitat, the natural nature of how a pig acts, their natural behavior, their natural tendencies are destructive. And so they have to be in certain um, parameters, certain living quarters for their own safety because they will physically destroy certain elements of a setup or um, 
a hog setting or a barn setting, so to speak, um, if they're able to. And that's just an animal. That's the natural animal behavior of that animal. And when you have so many of them together that you really have to consider all those factors. Absolutely. Yeah. And even even if it was just one or two, then there is the social isolation of an animal by itself. And that's a different part of the ethics conversation, too. So many things like so many things that people don't think about when they're sharing their opinions. Absolutely. Like I said, there's so many moving pieces and parts. And um, another conversation that I recently had with a farmer, I actually posed the question to them. I said, so what do you feel is the most misunderstood part of your job? And they said, without hesitation, how well the animals are treated. They said, Mm -hmm. I would love more people to come out and see how much time and physical energy and emotional energy is put into caring for my animals. And I think many farming families with livestock would joke that the animals, the four-legged members of the family or two-legged members of the family, depending upon, you know, get more attention many times of the year than the rest of the family does. And that's because they love and they care and they have a passion in their family for that, for feeding the world. We saw that on our trip with Midwest Dairy to Chicago. Those were like the happiest cows I've ever seen, I think, in my life. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And it was downpouring rain and yeah. you know, rain or shine. You don't get a snow day in agriculture, no. right? Like we don't get that in healthcare either. People need tended to in the hospital setting um, and animals need tended to as well. So, and weather, you know, if we're going to talk about weather, that brings up a you know, similar to the conversation around pasture or free range animals. If you put animals out there and I, this is something that's been fun for me to be able to witness like, aha, over the last 10 years, like now I finally have a good understanding to be able to take back to my students or to my clients or to my patients to be able to say, you know what? Those animals don't want to be out in the middle of an open range pasture when it's 105 degrees and no. 90% humidity. Like they want protection. They want shade. You can find them in the middle of summer in the middle of the trees to be able to have that protection or in the middle of winter in the building. If you, you know, they have the option to go between a building and out in um, the pen, they're going to be in the building out of the wind, just like we would if we were put in that situation as well. So. Yeah, that kind of gets forgotten, like the 100 degree weather with 95% humidity and the negative degree weather in the snow. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, though. I think it's I think it's great that you're sharing your perspective as, you know, both that dietitian professional and then also that farming professional that you are realistic, but you're also very mindful of what a dietetics professional is thinking about and questioning as well as what the farmer's thinking about and questioning. Yeah. And I think, you know, opportunities like this to have conversation are how everyone continues to move forward. And I, one of the things that I tell my students all the time, and I've, we've done this with patients too, is be your own case study. You know, if, if you want to explore something, try something, try a different product, see if it, you know, over time, if you, not just one product, obviously, is going to change your lab values, but start a change and then reassess. So we have so many different abilities to be able to look at fasting blood glucose or cholesterol levels or cortisol levels, levels of stress in the body, levels of inflammation in the body. Um, 
you know, I've done my own experiments. I eat a lot of animal products for a variety of reasons, both meat and dairy. Um, don't ever try to take cheese or milk out of my diet, please. <laughs> I don't think I'd be able, like I was always praying when I was nursing my girls, like, please, I hope to goodness that I don't have to remove that. I don't know what I would do. Um, but I continually analyze my labs and I make sure that I'm doing the rest of the piece of the puzzle as well. And it's not, yes, nutrition is a lot of the conversation, but we have to get up and move more as a society. And so anytime I tell my students, when you find a study or a news article that has a headline about this product now results in X disease, you find the original research article. And the first thing I want you to search for is physical activity and exercise. And if it says search result not found, throw it out. Because there are so many elements of physical activity and exercise that we can't look at studies that aren't factoring in the benefits of physical activity. That's so interesting. I'm going to start doing that now, too. <laughs> I guess I've never really thought of that. That's so true, well, though. You know, and I have to say that with a grain of salt, because, of course, the bold diet isn't going to be looking at exercise and it's a very well done study so to speak but when you're talking about relating it to disease right i mean they were a very specific focus Mm -hmm. and looking at specific health outcomes and improvements and those metabolic um factors so interesting well i i really appreciate you joining in a conversation about this i think it's great having you know me i love conversations so this is like right up my alley oh no we days um, about this topic we could we could <laughs> and i'm gonna include your email in uh the great. show notes so if people would have any questions for you i hope as dietitians you reach out to katie and ask her any question that you have about being a farmer and a dietitian because she has some great insight absolutely thank you again and yeah well i have to end with my Favorite questions that all of our listeners want to know. (laughs) So why don't you share with me some of your favorite foods that you enjoy? Oh, without a doubt, chocolate is at the top of the list. I will pick the (laughs) chocolate dessert any day um, (laughs) if you put it in front of me. But I would say the others on my list are breakfast foods. Like that is you pancake, waffle, muffin, all of that (laughs) stuff is favorite um and then brussels sprouts salmon feta cheese like so many strong flavors yeah strong flavors yeah Yeah. nice uh what about favorite beverages that you enjoy you know i am pretty boring when it comes to beverages (laughs) i will be honest i am a water milk and coffee person and that is about all i really consume it what is else do you need? yeah i know right? <laughs> with some red wine thrown in there good beer here and there but um yeah. yeah i'm pretty basic a lot more coffee now than there ever used to be before i had children in graduate school i attribute some of that to graduate school as well <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand <laughs> um favorite scent or scents you enjoy Okay, this is funny because the local creamery just opened up here in Indianola. And when we walked in the other day for the, um, opened up for the season, I should say, I walked in and I'm like, oh, this smell is so wonderful. Like that local creamery smell. Yes, Uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like the Cold Stone when you walk by the Cold Stone in the mall. Oh, so good. Um, But pumpkin spice regularly is is a favorite of mine as well. Favorite of yours. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of things do you like to listen to? Are you a music person? Do you listen to the radio? Pop yeah, radio? both. Um, I'm listening to, in terms of music, if I'm working and I'm trying to be productive with writing, it's more instrumental because otherwise I will sing to everything I can find. <laughs> it could be country. It can be um, crazy rap. Like I, I will attempt to sing it in my head and then I will not be productive. So instrumental, I played piano growing up. And so I enjoy oh, um, instrumental awesome. music. But if I'm trying to exercise or um, actually my oldest was born in the delivery room, they asked me if I wanted to turn on some calming music and I was ready to push. And I said, no, I want you to turn on Pitbull and Akon. So if I need to get something done in terms of activity, it's completely opposite end of the spectrum. And the nurses just absolutely laughed hysterically. So, Oh my God. I love it. I love you, Katie. That's amazing. (laughs) With country in there too. I do love my country, but depends what I'm doing. And what brings you joy in life? Oh, you know, now with children, this is funny because it absolutely makes me laugh and smile when my children are fighting over the broccoli and the avocado. Like, uh, I wanted the last avocado. No, I wanted more broccoli. She ate all the broccoli. I will welcome those arguments in terms of parenting any day of the week. <laughs> that's amazing. That that's that's amazing that's even happening. <laughs> wow. Well, you're doing your job, girl. For sure. We're trying. I don't know. But yes, kids, family, traveling, all of that is um, definitely fulfills and keeps me going every day. Well, Katie, thank you so much for our conversation today. I've enjoyed so much talking to you even more and getting to know you better. And I hope to stay connected with you. Likewise. Thank you so much. I have such a sincere appreciation for farmers and all they do to secure safe and plentiful food for our country. Katie gave such great insight being in the position of both dietitian and farmer. Please reach out if you want to know more about farming or how to connect with farmers. You can find her email in the show notes. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.